Hello, welcome to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Jason Hammond. I'm here with Todd Norwood. Hey, welcome back. So today we're going to continue on with what we talked about in our last episode, a little bit about base training. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how to incorporate resistance training or strength training into your base training cycle. Um, for a more in-depth discussion about strength training, as far as the different cycles of strength training, uh, the different goals that are associated with that, and looking at the specific exercises that are relevant to cycling, we have a prior episode specifically about strength training. Uh, so you may want to reference that as well with this one. We may touch on some of those topics, but uh, today we're more focused on how to integrate that well with your base training plan. Sure. So we kind of hinted about this with our last episode, but I want to present first two white papers that at first seem at odds with each other. So the first paper is High Volume of Endurance Training Impairs Adaptation to 12 Weeks of Strength Training in Well-Trained Endurance Athletes. This study suggests that athletes who had done strength training and endurance training, as opposed to athletes who had just done strength training, had lower one rep maxes, lower muscle force, uh, you know, lower overall, you know, weightlifting parameters. So um, they were not able to squat as well. They were not able to deadlift as well if they did strength and endurance, as opposed to people who just did strength, who had higher one rep max values. So the other article is effects of strength training on endurance capacity in top level endurance athletes. This paper concluded that strength training can lead to endurance improvements in both long-term and short-term endurance capacity in well-trained individuals and highly trained top-level endurance athletes, especially when using high volume and heavy resistance, resistance strength protocols. So this would be the last phase of strength training, which is maximal load. So the this paper claims that uh, the reason for these enhancements in endurance capacity are increase in the proportion of type 2a muscle fibers. We can talk about that a little bit as well as gains in maximal muscle strength, rapid force characteristics, and Todd, your favorite, neuromuscular function. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm sort of curious about the first paper now. Did they not look at aerobic markers at all? They only looked at purely the strength markers? Right. So it's interesting because this is considered a cycling paper, but it's almost a, a paper that's there to justify weightlifters not doing any cardio. Interesting. I feel like, if you, oh, well, yeah, their strength parameters were different. Okay, great. But that's fine. I mean, that's one conclusion. But clearly, the second paper points to improvements in endurance parameters. And you know, perhaps the first paper may have had that same conclusion had they uh, decided that, that was something they were interested in measuring. Yeah, I think the most one of the most interesting parts of this is, you know, you read through the papers and you say, well, you know, I want to be strong. I'm a cyclist. I'm a you know leg athlete. And this paper suggests maybe I shouldn't be doing my endurance work because I'm going to have lower strength values. And the second paper sort of throws a bucket of water on that and says, yeah, but remember, you're not a strength athlete. You're you're a cycling athlete. And we have a study that is focused on the effects of cycling, um, you know, lifting on cycling and, and high volume training on cycling. And it indicates that, yeah, it's a good idea to lift for cycling improvements. Yeah, and so I guess the you know the ultimate study is something that looks at all these things in the the index that we're interested in. Right? At the end of the day, as a cyclist, what's going to determine your performance is not what your squat 
one RM is, it's probably aerobic factors, right? And so, you know, it'd be interesting to see, okay, so if we took a group of cyclists that just did aerobic training and a group of cyclists that just focused on strength training and then a group of cyclists that did the combined protocol at the end of the day for cycling specific measures, who has the best outcome? And I, I would venture it's probably in order the group that did both, the group that did just cycling training, and then the group that did weight training, right? Because you, you're going to lose some of the aerobic benefit if you didn't do any cycling training. Sure. And I think that the areas that are discussed in the effects of strength training on endurance capacity paper, um, such as your increase in type 2A muscle fibers. So these are muscle fibers that are, they're type 2, so they're snappy and mm-hmm. fast twitch. they don't last as long. But type 2A, so they differentiate type 2A, type 2B. Type 2A is the more endurance form of the type Uh 2 muscles. And you can't change the concentration or the percent of type 1 versus type 2 muscle fibers in your body. But you can make your type 2 muscle fibers more Uh endurancey. And so combining strength training with base is a good way to get these longer lasting type 2 fibers. Right. And so that's going to be your... Not your short sprint effort, but your sort of longer efforts that are more into this idea of anaerobic realm type mm-hmm. effort that, where you're going to talk about that type of fiber type being beneficial. Right. So, you know, what is your limiter and your muscular um, fatigue is not going to be your limiter when you're doing a four hour effort, one hour effort mm-hmm. even. But when there is this sweet spot where being able to resist fatigue in your muscles, five minutes, eight minutes, you're going to see some value in, in these muscles. And I would argue, unless you're a pure sprinter, these are the muscles that you really need because there's a lot of anaerobic work done in the preparation for a sprint. There's a lot of anaerobic work done in road races to try and drop riders and staying in the group. This is such a sweet spot area that I think strength training benefits almost all riders. Yeah, I mean, the... Oftentimes the crucial moves in the race end up from a zone standpoint being in that shorter end of the VO2 max into the anaerobic level of, you know, of effort. Not necessarily, it's not, it's not your zone one determines what rate, unless you do ultra endurance racing, but for the most, you know, most general road racing, mountain biking, it's not your zone one that's going to win the race for you. It's a little bit higher than that. Yeah. And it's always, um, you know, I can stick in this group except, you know, like when you get dropped, you look up and they sit up 30 seconds, a minute after you were smoked. And it's that ability to push it just a little bit longer that keeps you in that group. And that's something that strength training can really help with. So other things are maximal muscle strength. So that's just, uh, you know, how much force can I push down Mm -hmm. on the pedals with? And um, Todd, I know this is like your favorite fact, but I'll share it this time. Uh, the amount of force that you put into the pedals for any pedal stroke, even a maximal force, like something a sprinter would do is not going to be greater than your body weight. Is that correct? Except in rare cases when your cadence is near zero, right? When you're like starting off in a heavy gear, but generally speaking, yeah. And you can, you can calculate that out from your quadrant analysis. Um, and figure out and give them the watts and the crank length and all that uh, what the the force being produced at the crank arm is and it's you know it's smaller than you think you don't you don't need to leg press 500 pounds mm-hmm. to, 
And so this is interesting because if it's the force on a single leg Mm -hmm. is no more than your body weight, then your squats really don't need to be more than two times your body weight. If you can do two times your body weight for one rep max, like you did it. Yep, you're good. You're good. Uh, Scratch that off the list. Yeah, or if you can do really good single leg squats, you're good. Yep. And then uh, rapid force characteristics is another area of interest. So this is the ability for you to get all of your muscles to squeeze together uh, rapidly. Yeah, so the other way this is described is the rate of force development. So how quickly you can get to that peak force. And this comes in, I think, especially in cycling and sprinting. So you need to be able to accelerate. So you need to be able to increase your cadence and apply a, a heavy force on the pedal and you know have it to have a sharp acceleration. And so that's that idea of the rate of force development. A slow force development is like, you know, 50 cadence slowly cranking it over. Not useful for accelerating. You know, quick, quick going from you know, 95 cadence to 115 cadence and putting some force down. That's the rate of force development they're talking about. And that has to do with, as you alluded to, my favorite thing, improved neuromuscular function. So getting all the motor units in the muscle or at least recruiting more of those motor units in the muscle than you were before so that you can apply more force and that you can again apply it more quickly and this is the main value of high high weight lifting so our goal with lifting we start um, anatomical adaptations make Mm -hmm. sure our body can handle the weights we move on to muscle endurance and then the last stage is heavy, heavy, low reps. Uh-huh. And the whole point of that is, uh, so the reason that weightlifters, Olympic lifters can push so much, even though, I mean, they have a lot of muscle mass, but they can really push a lot more than you'd expect. And it's because they can get their muscles to all work together uh-huh. well. And this is the same neuromuscular function. So getting all of the fibers to align, getting all the mitochondria to squeeze at the same time to produce that peak value. This is heavy lifting. Yeah, that's that's the objective because the when you look at your fiber types, your type 1 and type 2, they engage sequentially dependent on the force that you're asking from the muscle. So cycling is an endurance activity. There, there's a reason that it's a type 1 endurance fiber type activity. Part of that is the low load that's placed on the pedals and each pedal stroke. Uh, so you... You recruit primarily if you're doing endurance riding and you know even some higher intensity, primarily type one fibers. And then as you start to cross in the threshold, now you start to get into starting to recruit the type two fibers. From a resistance training standpoint, if you lift the light load, type one fibers, and then as you add more and more load, you start to engage more and more of those type two fibers. And again, as we said before, those type two fibers are really only good for a short amount of effort. And that's why the weightlifting engages them and is useful in recruiting them because it's, again, a very short repetition takes a matter of seconds to complete. And so at some point you reach your, your one RM, theoretically, you've recruited the maximal amount that you can. And I think one of the cool things you see, especially in uh, novice weightlifters is you see this really sharp increase as they go to the gym and start to lift. You know, even in a week or two weeks, just a few sessions of weight training, you see a really rapid increase in their ability to move weight. And that's not about 
the muscle. That's too fast to have changes in muscle. You haven't increased muscle mass. Hypertrophy is four to eight weeks, is that correct? Typically, yeah. And again, as cyclists, we're really not looking for hypertrophy per se. We're really looking for better force development. So what you see in that this short window in a couple of weeks is actually the neuromuscular adaptations. So your brain is getting better at sending the signal to recruit the muscle fibers to contract and produce the force that's required to move weights. So you see this usually a pretty quick progression and then a plateau. And then as you continue to lift, then you can get some hypertrophy and some muscle level changes that then facilitate uh, greater strength gains over time. I think something that you kind of mentioned briefly, we don't really want hypertrophy. So an interesting thing to think about is uh, Chris Froome, um, Stefan Kreisweik, uh, even Garrett Thomas. These people all have much smaller quads than all of us. Um, is that just because they're lower body fat percentage? Or is it that they're able to do more with less total muscle mass? I think part of it is they're more efficient. Uh, so I guess that's the more more with less, both from a force production standpoint, a muscle recruitment standpoint, but then also from a, an aerobic standpoint. There, there are they have uh, more mitochondria per you know unit area of muscle, and those mitochondria are incredibly in- efficient. Yep, so and that, we have a whole episode on their pedal stroke is probably also very efficient. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, as we talked about with these white papers, what is being evaluated in terms of what do we want to improve with our strength training? So when you're lifting, you're not really focusing on your one rep max for your mm-hmm. squat. You're focusing on maximizing the muscle function, the neuromuscular function, the capacity for your muscles to produce energy. So if you're a very quaddy rider, a lot of people who are quaddy riders know that they only use their quads. Maybe lifting is more about getting your hamstrings to start work mm-hmm. or getting your glutes to engage in the pedal stroke. I think that strength training should really be focused on the individual. What are the individual's weaknesses and where can strength training benefit their muscle function? Yeah, I think that's totally accurate. And to a certain point, it's almost if you went to the gym and you worked through some of the movements, don't do the one you're good at. Do the one you're really bad at. And that's probably the one where you stand to benefit the most. If you do squats, like, oh, wow, I can move a lot of weight with a squat. But then you go do a deadlift, and that's, you know, relatively a, a much smaller number. That's probably the one you need to work on. The squat's probably fine. You, you know, it might, there might be some value in doing it. And I, you know, I, I mention this every time we talk about weights uh, from a bone density standpoint. Squats are great. Um, now, now I'm going to make a philosophical and scientific point. If you get the opportunity and you, you have the experience or you can get somebody to help you out that has the experience, um, experience coach, personal trainer, or the like, free weights are so much better in so many ways compared to machines. Uh, so if you have the experience and you're able to do it safely, I would always recommend free weights over uh, machines. And there's, there's some good research out there that even shows comparable loads, but that when you use the free weights, you actually see um, increases, relatively speaking, in circulating testosterone for doing the same like same set of workout, right? Same lo- loading the muscles, doing all you know sets, reps, all that stuff. But relatively speaking, circulating testosterone is increased when you do uh, free weight workout with squats versus a leg press. 
I was also recently thinking about my own approach to strength training this year. And I think that it's important to not just train these major movers. So uh, this is maybe a, in addition to the, the other episode, but if you're a new rider and maybe you were sedentary or you played a different sport or, you know, in general, you're new to this, I would recommend, you know, focus on the squat. The most important part of the pedal stroke is the extension. We want to get glute engagement. We want to get quad engagement. Um, I think core strength is also important. Mm -hmm. But if you're a more experienced rider, you have big enough quads, you have good engagement of your glutes, where else can we get value? I wouldn't wouldn't say neglect the squats, but I wouldn't say focus on the squats either. And um, there's a lot of ways to get power out of your bike, whether that's improving you know, your posture in your upper back, improving your core function, um, improving your ability to, you know, stiffen yourself while you're sprinting in order to, you know, improve the the ability to transfer power through the pedals. Um, you have to think about what your limitations are, what you want to improve on, what's going to make you a better rider and focus on those things. And, you know, to add to that, I would say a reasonable test of this is go to the gym. Go do leg press. If you're an experienced cyclist, you can probably push a lot of weight. Plenty of weight. Right. More, a, a larger number than you need to. Probably, you know, probably actually more than a lot of the macho looking individuals that are using the leg press. They'd probably be like, who's the scrawny person over there pushing all the weight? Uh, but what would be interesting is to look at the delta between your leg press and your squat. And I think that that starts to illuminate a little bit where some of your limited are, limiters are in terms of mobility, perhaps, or in terms of core strength and some of the other muscle groups that, you aren't, that, that are not in your legs uh, that may be limiting your form. I'm not saying those numbers should be equal, but like your, your squat weight shouldn't be 25% of your leg press weight right? or 10%. There's some, maybe there's something happening there. Um, and some, some of that's obviously learning. Maybe if you've never done a squat with a barbell before, you should have someone teach you and you should work through it and learn how to do it safely and appropriately. But I think you might, you might end up rather surprised. Like, wow, I just did X hundred pounds on the leg press and I tried to squat a hundred and it felt almost impossible. That's that the same legs. What, what happened? There's probably other limiters there that should be addressed. I think the other advantage of free weights is the, the necessary use of stabilizing muscles Mm -hmm. and even on the bike sometimes we can get away without stabilizing the muscles depending on how the saddle's positioned or how our cleats are clipped in Uh, you see lots of riders with crazy knee movement throughout the pedal stroke and when you're in a squat i mean you you know when you can't handle it and it's Mm -hmm. usually your stabilizers rather than your major movers and that could be an indication oh i have really tight adductors uh, and i i didn't know that before and the value of doing strength training and learning you have tight adductors and then stretching them is like you've you've won that's a success Mm -hmm. in your um in your season is learning that you have that limitation and fixing it as a and you know you could do no other lifting other than improving that mobility and you'd see success. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. That's what I was leading to is there's all these other little muscles that you that are not your quads and not your hamstrings pushing the weight on the leg press, but that are going to make that squat a heck of a lot harder. Yeah, and I, I actually know two really high-level cyclists who both swore against these stabilizing muscles. One person 
would never do squats because they didn't want the core strength. They didn't want the muscle mass on their core. Another, um, he broke his back in a crash and the PT was trying to, you know, build up his back muscles. And he said, I I don't want those. And it's just so interesting that some riders are so desperate for the, the kilograms to go down that they don't focus on the Watts side. And you see all these, you know, back to the, these really tiny pro riders. And a lot of people, when they, I like to use pro riders as an example of um, maybe something that we should be interested in following. Like what, I don't think that they're uh, these, you know, so some people say like, oh, pros are genetic freaks or, you know, they're, they're very special, but I think they're actually just uh, very specialized and there's nothing terribly unique about their anatomy or their physiology. They're, st- they're still humans. And if they're able to produce a massive amount of power with not that much muscle mass, maybe we should think about what they're doing and how do we, how do we follow them? No, I, I think that's very true, right? Whether that's any particular sport, uh, if it's a technique sport, like a golf, for example, how does a pro swing a golf club? Well, maybe I should emulate that because, you know, given my body type and everything, right? Like, you know, if you're tall, you probably shouldn't look at the short golfer and try to figure out how they are a short tennis player and figure out how they swing the racket and try to emulate that. You should probably look at a tall one and say, huh, how does he or she do that? And how can I be like that? Because that seems to work. And I think that's a that's a perfect example. Yeah. You know, maybe they are closer to the uh, the edge of the bill curve, closer to the tail when it comes to the genetic potential for VO2 max. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us couldn't learn something from what they're doing, how they're, you know, how they're getting uh, to where they, you know, where they're able to produce this sort of power. I, I forget this study now, and I, now I'm going to have to try to dig it up and find it. But I remember reading it and it was the, you know, obviously there's genetic determinants to your ability to perform at a high level of whatever it is, whether it's to add muscle mass or to, you know, do an aerobic sport or, you know, any number of things that are genetically determined to a point. But from an aerobic capacity training standpoint, I forget the percentage, but it's, you know, most of it is your training. It's not the genetics. Most people, if given the time and, you know, willing to put in the effort on a train standpoint, could get pretty far from an aerobic, you know, they're not necessarily going to win a gold medal, but you'd be surprised how far they could get if they put in the, the time and effort and had the resources available. Yeah. Total digression of our original topic, but interesting nonetheless. Well, I guess the point I was making was that uh, you see lots of videos of pro rider squatting and doing a lot of free weights mm-hmm. and doing a lot of kind of weird exercises to try and engage these muscles they wouldn't normally engage. And even, you know, we had Paul Sarah on the podcast and afterwards he was showing us these weird uh, exercises he was doing and they were all out of plane. There were all, a lot of twisting, lots of one-legged things. And this is all because the little stabilizers are the things that he needs to work on. Those are the things that are going to improve the strength, not the hypertrophy in your quads. Well, or uh, Nino Schroeder, the mountain bike world champion, mm-hmm. YouTube, watch stuff he does. It's totally like If you didn't know he was a cyclist like is this guy a service reformer what is, what is he doing what is he, what is he trying to train here now why is he doing this crazy obscure exercise this this has nothing to do with riding a bike this looks nothing like riding a bike but 
the guys won you know more world championships than anybody else and who's the uh the women's world champion uh you're asking me this year um or, Pre- no, the, the local one. Oh, uh, uh, i guess from last year last year kate courtney yeah, yeah. Sim- I s- similar mm-hmm. i saw a video yeah i saw a video of her you know balancing on a uh um one of the big um yoga balls yep that and she had a 45 pound weight that she was flipping in her hand mm-hmm. um, while balancing on it it's like okay so you know not just a um you know a quad rider or a you know like a full body athlete and that's something that i think pros have that's different and okay if, if we want to extrapolate this to action items i think that yeah you should be able to do a few pull-ups mm-hmm. you should work on your rhomboids to pull your shoulders back because a lot of us are hunched forward and when you get that stiffness in your upper back you can get a lot better power transfer from your handlebars you know through the saddle under the pedals uh, i don't know if we talked about those in the last podcast but i think upper back is something that uh, riders should work on their lats of course mm-hmm. span the entire back we talked about that a bit in the core uh, episode that if you can get some strength through the lats they can really help to stiffen your yep, torso the trunk mm-hmm. um, even getting some deltoids your um, your upper arms can help uh, prevent collarbone issues if you get in a crash and so if you're a crit rider it can also be a good way to shove your elbows into uh, into some gaps that may or may not exist um and also you know uh we've talked about we have a whole episode on hip mobility um but strengthening all the muscles around the hip and the core can really be um good for injury prevention and also uh, power transfer yeah i think right at the end of the day you're we said this right newtonian physics your leg's pushing down against something something your pedal is pushing back up against your leg how are you gonna stabilize that that's going to be your core. It's going to be those small, those going to be the small muscles, not going to be big muscles. Yep. And I think that it's important to learn where your problems are. So um, figure out how much you can push, how much you can pull, how much you can do this weird thing. You know, how high can you jump on one foot? Do all these weird things and see if you can identify what's maybe lacking. And the, the hard part about this is deciding what lacking is. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how much should I be able to bicep curl? You use your biceps when you're climbing on that 12% grade and you got to pull back on the bars to generate some force in your quads at, you know, 40 cadence. Uh, you know, is it, is it 10 reps at 10 pounds or you know, 20, 20 reps at 10 pounds? Like what, I, I don't have the answer for you in particular, but it should be evident when you don't have enough power and that should be something that you write down as mm, should probably work on that uh, mm-hmm. because the most functional the most uh useful bodies turn into the the best riders yeah i think paul said this on his episodes like it's yes you know i need to be a good enduro rider but i also need to be a good athlete to be a good enduro rider and i it, yes enduro is a unique discipline but i don't think that is different than the other disciplines so much i think yes being a good athlete generally is probably going to help you no matter what discipline you're in, uh, not just you know having the biggest quads or the you know most efficient aerobic system. Having a little something else is going to help you too. Yeah, and uh, Todd, do you have anything else for well, us? Well, so we didn't really talk about how to fit this into the base part of your training, 
Okay. All right. So, okay. So we did our, our off season. We took our appropriate rest. We did some non cycling things, hopefully. So the first piece of the puzzle here is the, uh, anatomic adaptation, right? So you're going to start your base training and that's going to coincide with initiating the, um, anatomic adaptation. So the lighter weights going through the movements, getting used to the idea, getting your body used to the idea of pushing some weight, uh, you know, maybe you're going to do that depending on who you ask six up to 12 weeks. I think 12 is really long personally. Uh, you have to, you know, if you've never lifted weights before, maybe you want to just take 12 weeks and just mostly focus on that. And if you can get a coach, a lifting specific coach, I think that's really valuable, but uh, it is an additional expense or, mm-hmm. and sometimes inconvenience as well. If they, if they have a set time that you have to show up or something like that. Although I think for most people, with lifting, uh, unlike so cycling, it's sort of a continual thing because right? you're adapting your plan. Lifting, I think, in this sense, is about setting your technique and making sure your technique is clean and, and good and safe. You can learn that relatively quickly. Now, this is not like I need to have a lifting coach for the rest of my life. This is if I spend a couple of weeks with a good coach, I can probably figure out the foundational things that I need and then go, you know, learn these things, install them into my program, and then go back maybe next year and revisit that with, you know, new, learn some new movements and mm-hmm. progress my weightlifting. So six weeks up to 12 weeks, depending on, on where you are. Uh, then you do a, a transitional phase where you're increasing your weights a bit and, and building up there, building up towards ultimately doing a, a heavy set of lifting. And so you know, maybe spend four, again, four, maybe six weeks doing this transitional phase where you're doing fewer reps but you're adding weight to the same exercises that you were doing before and ultimately um, hopefully getting towards the end of your base you're doing heavier lifting this is probably something if it's your first year ever uh, doing resistance training you maybe don't want to do the super super heavy weights you may just extend that um, lower reps heavier weight and progress through that and not actually drop down where you're doing the you know sets of three four type uh, exercises really trying to maximize the the resistance training it's basically you pick up in a, a second year and again with a, a coach to help you work through some of that stuff yeah especially because the really heavy stuff is the most dangerous you need to know how to drop the weight safely mm-hmm. and, uh, how to bail things like that and i think also if it is your first year of lifting you do want to focus on some hypertrophy um you're really focusing on not necessarily just maxing out your quads, but you want to have more muscle mass in general. And so, yeah, your first year, maybe there's not as much value in the maximal strength, but second, third, fourth year it starts to definitely become more valuable. And then there's the idea of, uh, I think this is probably somewhat controversial of how much you do during the season. Uh, I think some people are like, yeah, I, should, I keep doing it. You do it once a week. Uh, you, you tend to do a lower rep count, lower set count. Um, and then some people are just, I do this thing when it's my base season or, you know, um, early preseason and I never touch it during the season. So that's a, an individual's decision and decision you make with your coach to figure out, uh, what works for you, what works for your, your style of riding and for your body and your, your part in development, your phase and your development as a rider. My personal view on lifting is I, I only do it in the off season. I think that the maximal strength phase finishes up just before you start doing VO2 max intervals. You usually don't do them at the same time because your legs will be absolutely Mm -hmm. smoked if you do both. Um, 
And I remember talking to a track rider who had lots and lots of experience. And he said, it's just unrealistic to do lifting during the season Mm -hmm. because, well, as a track rider, every effort's a VO2 max effort. Yeah, you're going hard, going Um, that hard. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you are, I, I don't lift during the season, but I do gym work because I want to work on the things that I'm not, uh, you know, that are not functioning as well. So for me, I try to get better hamstring engagement. So I'll do hamstring specific exercises to try and get that better neuromuscular mm-hmm. function. Um, I'll do a lot of core because I also have issues engaging that on the bike. So no, I'm not doing squats, but I am going to the gym and spending one day a week with dedicated focus. And then I'll have two days a week at home doing, uh, you know, exercises you can do on your living room floor. Yeah, I I try personally to integrate some resistance training during the the season. Uh, again, I, this comes back to me personally for the from the bone density standpoint and looking at the perspective of, well, yes, I like to race my bike. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on the perspective, no one is paying me to do it. Uh, so I feel like I should optimize my body to be healthy for the long run. That's probably also the physical therapist here in me speaking. Like, well, you know. Want to, I'm going to live a life beyond just racing my bike. So trying to optimize, make sure that you have good bone density, you're healthy for the long run. So to me, trying to spend a little, a little bit of time uh, lifting, you know, do I maybe lift, I'm less likely to lift uh, on the week I have an A race? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that aside, just spend a, you know, spend a day doing nothing heavy, nothing crazy, just a little bit uh, as part of my program for that reason. Now that you mentioned A ride, um, or a race, I was thinking about, um, I remember reading a study that riders who did heavyweight squats before a 200 meter time trial, which is, that's a track event mm-hmm. where it's a, a 10 second, 12 second effort. Yep. They did one one set of heavyweight lifting and they had, you know, 5% better times. And that goes back to your neuromuscular firing. Mm-hmm. Um, so lifting can you know, in lieu of sprinting, or maybe you have a really punchy crit coming up, learning to experiment with, hey, five days out, let's do like one day of some mm-hmm. some squats and see if that just pumps up our quads just a little bit uh, for that race. So maybe that's something you can experiment with to try and get a little bit of engagement. And it's probably, there's probably some scale, right? Like, okay, so for a track rider, it doesn't quite work just because of the intensity overlap. For uh, an ultra endurance rider, probably doesn't make as much sense. But for some, there's some scope in between there where it probably makes a lot of sense to be doing those things. Yeah, and it also depends on the type of rider. I mean, some people win only from 40 minute breaks. They don't need to lift. There are some riders who only sprint. And maybe, but you're probably working on your sprint form and your mm-hmm. um, your tactics and your your timing and things like that. But maybe that rider who does the 70 second flyers and you know don't look back just put your head down and smash it um yeah maybe there's some value yeah, there. it makes sense so i guess that's a study we need to do the riding type and the the benefit of resistance training during the season yeah it seems a little difficult to quantify it's like um you know there's a, there's that classic study of people saying who they who they think they want to date and they answer a survey, and then in a year they check on who they are dating, and the person doesn't match. I feel like uh, if you ask a rider, "Hey, what, well, like, what kind of rider are you?" You know, everyone says something, and then and then you you check on their results, and you're like, uh, "That was a hilly race. You said you're good at flats. Like, 
but you got third yeah. in the hilly race. <laughs> so, yeah, racing is also tough, right? Because it somewhat dependent on who shows up for the race too. Yeah, and you can always just say, "I'm in the front group. I don't know how this happened." You know, yeah, yeah, and stick it out, log it out for a fifth place or whatever. So yeah, that, and that's just maybe something of you you try it one year and you see and you try it for before a couple races and see what happens and learn from that those data points and make decisions going forward based on that yeah i guess a, like a c race you could experiment mm-hmm. uh, i think that's probably a perfect time if you're into that or you're curious about that yeah like uh i almost want to say not five days out but like two or three days out well so i guess if you're adapted to it right you're not going to have a huge amount of delayed onset muscle soreness you figure that's going to you know if you did a heavy workout, you're talking about 48 to 72 hours post. So if you're adapted, you're probably going to be closer to the 48. So yeah, three days out maybe feels right. And again, it doesn't have to be super heavy. Yeah. Well, actually, I was thinking about this with peaking. So when you peak, you don't want to decrease the intensity. You just want to increase the number of reps. Mm-hmm. So if you are typically doing three sets of three at you know whatever 2x body weight maybe you could do one set of three or two sets of three so that you don't get that total fatigue but your body still says oh crap we need to hyper right. still gets the, the hyper stimulus mm-hmm. yeah or um hypercompensate. hypercompensate yeah so i don't know now now i want to try this uh for my next uh your, your next c race yeah okay i guess there's gonna be some future episode where we revisit this jason's results from lifting weights Three days before a yeah. secret. My legs felt like crap. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Got dropped straight away. Yeah. It was Lap terrible. <laughs> well, we'll have to see. That's why it's a C race. Lots of learning. Yep, exactly. It's it's on it's on your schedule with a C by it for a reason. Yep. And uh, so if you have anything else for strength training tips, I really think it's, you know, I don't know. Based on my experience, it's really important to learn about your weaknesses. We did a hip mobility uh episode i think that learning where you're inflexible it's super common to be inflexible as a cyclist where are you weak what muscles aren't firing if you learn these things and you rectify them you can see huge improvements way bigger improvements than anything that a special training plan does or any of those things you get you get proper body function you can see a lot of really really good results yeah i think that's huge and just to reiterate if you're new to this and sometimes, you know, if you're experienced, it's probably worth it. You know, if you have a friend that's experienced or you have a coach, uh, the friend thing gets weird because you have this like social contract versus um, business contract. Right? Should I pay him? Should I not pay him as a favor? You maybe don't want to tread there. Get a coach, pay him to go through with you. Make sure your technique is good. Uh, so it is important when you start to do weights. And, and as Jason's point out, now, if you do have limitations, you may have to modify the, the workout. I have a hip limitation. I have a, an ankle limitation. I can't squat as deep. That's fine. You just need to be aware of it and recognize that, well, I'm not going to squat as deep as that other person over here in the gym because my hip doesn't let me move like that and work to rectify that mobility so that you can you know, eventually do that range of motion uh, and improve your function that way. So I think be, be patient with it. Learn. Make sure that your technique is correct and safe so that you can reap the benefits of doing the resistance training during your base period. Absolutely. And remember, this is during base period. And the big emphasis on base period is it's slow. It's boring. It takes forever. 
be really patient and that's weightlifting too in this section is yeah eh, it's kind of boring for a lot of people like what i'm not riding my bike i'm there's a lot of sweaty uh people with like way too much muscle hypertrophy around me and uh it's it's usually busy after work as well so um yeah it's not not terribly fun but be patient the results come from you know consistently doing the work although i will say when it does come to things relating to base training and base that base period your aerobic progress is going to be slow and you know it's not going to pay dividends right away but if there's a little like glimmer of hope and light it's probably the resistance training because that's going to change more readily the weight that you're able to push in a given you know week over week session over session you're actually going to be able to see and measure that change more readily than anything that the aerobic part of base that's more of a having blind faith this works because it's the right thing to do and science says so therefore i'll i'll do it and march along for the next several months at this slow pace and you know three months from now i know this is going to work out for me whereas the weights you'll actually see the result fairly readily you know within a couple of weeks of, of starting you'll start to see it oh yeah this is a little easier you have more a few more reps a little more weight so maybe that's a little bit encouraging to keep you motivated and keep you uh, going to the gym when it's crowded and sweaty and you don't really want to do it yeah so that's our um retouching of strength training in the base uh please go do it i want to see all of you hitting new peak power numbers and lots of improvements on the bike and, and, and new one rms in the gym sure and uh todd as you always say well first thanks for listening of course and if you enjoyed it share or like us however however you go about that and whatever your social currency is and uh, until next time, keep the herbicide down.